On today's show, revisiting some of the topics and questions that we weren't able to get to in our initial reaction episode from Rafael Stone's press conference. Plus, what are the intangibles that the next head coach needs to be able to succeed here in Houston? What are some of the qualities and attributes that will be really important for this next head coach to find success in this role with the Houston Rockets? All of that and more coming right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select... Jalen Green, Alperon Shingun, and Jabari Smith Jr. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. The show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Revisit the comments area at the end of the episode and share your thoughts on the uh, intangibles that the next head coach needs to have to be able to succeed here in Houston. Now, today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Skip trips to the grocery store. Don't have to go to the grocery store anymore and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NBA60 and use code NBA60 for 60% off plus free shipping on your very next order. And as always, thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, in the Jim, on your lunch break, thank you for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, none other than Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben Dubose. You can follow on Twitter at Ben Dubose, the Podfather and the Pod Son, reunited once again. It's so funny, Ben. We were watching the press conference we ran it back the my, my video feed of it of Rafael mm-hmm. Stone in Rockets Watch and as soon as you go to ask a question everybody's like oh it's the pod father it's always so oh the, the, the and appropriately I piggybacked off of your question which so. is which is exactly in the comments everyone's like oh the pod father pod son do it. it's so funny um yep. So let's start things off here with there were a couple different things that I wasn't able to get to in our most recent episode uh, from Mm -hmm. the Rafael Stone presser. And so we'll revisit a couple of things that, you know, didn't make it into that episode as far as discussion points, takeaways, uh, as well as visiting some other topics like maybe some of the intangibles that the next head coach of this Rockets team needs in order to succeed in this role where maybe Steven Silas unfortunately failed. Let's start with... Cody Davis asked basically the question that boiled down to like, was Steven Silas set up to fail, right? Was he given mm-hmm. a roster that was, you know, able to win games? I'm paraphrasing here, but um, Rafael's answer to this question was actually so interesting to me because he basically took like two and a half minutes to basically say, we're like, everybody gets the cards that they're dealt and you basically just have to yep. deal with it. Um, and I actually took no issue with that answer. Like, I think a lot of Rockets fans kind of heard his phrasing on that answer and maybe were frustrated because he, it seemed like he was trying to make it about himself or whatever. And I didn't really perceive it that way. He was drawing parallels to the hand mm-hmm. that he was dealt in, in yes. the kind of the messy situation that he inherited from the previous regime, from Daryl Morey and all that. And, 
I mean, when you're being objective about it, yeah, Rafael Stone was handed like a really crappy hand as well. Absolutely. And he has tried to make the most of that since then. So he, he drew that parallel to Steven Silas and the hand that he was given as the Rockets head coach. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it. I did not think it was a lawyerly answer, which is a critique that we hear all the time on Rockets Twitter, at least, because, of course, Rafael started as general counsel with the Rockets. He has a law degree and so on and so forth. In that case, I thought he was being fairly honest. And the fact of the matter is the typical timeline for a general manager is different than a head coach. So it's entirely possible that we're having the same conversation about Rafael a year or two from now that we're having today about Steven. It's just by the nature of his job, barring something catastrophic, it makes more sense as ownership evaluates Rafael for him to get a bit longer of a leash. As opposed to a head coach, you can tell a bit sooner if the mix is right, if the fit is right. And that's the biggest difference. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, why is only Steven being held accountable and not Rafael? A lot of it comes down to the nature of their jobs. Look around the league. Head coaches typically have a much shorter shelf life in a given location than the GM does. There's just a lot less turnover at the GM ranks because generally most owners understand that it takes a little bit more time to truly evaluate, especially when you go into the depths of a rebuild that the Rockets have. And again, I don't think that Rafael has some sort of magic potion to where he's just safe no matter what. No, I think he gets a bit of a longer leash. He's had a few more wins objectively. I think that's fair to say. But I also think a lot of it's just the nature of his job. And he basically said, look, I'm lucky too. This isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And especially at the NBA level where it's so hard to be the singular best team out of 30. And yet if your focus is trying to win a championship, which the Rockets have made it clear that that's why they're going into this rebuild, they could have absolutely stayed afloat after losing James Harden and just sort of been mired in, I suppose, the mediocrity treadmill. No, they sank to these depths because of the talent accumulation in the draft. And if you're trying to put a priority on being the best out of 30, even little things like the mix just not being quite right between the coach, the GM, the front office, the alignment you're trying to get in terms of player development and so on and so forth, then you're going to have to be aggressive with changing any of these imperfections. And again, I, I think that's what costs Steven his job. It's not that he's a terrible coach. It's not that he can't succeed elsewhere. It's just for the Rockets and their emphasis, they're going to be picky. And it just so happens that the GM typically has a, a bit longer of a leash. I also think that the timeline sort of works out well because, of course, Steven's owed no more money after this year as opposed to this offseason. I think Rafael does have at least one more year on the contract he signed in 2020, his contract a bit longer than what Steven signed in that same 2020 offseason. And then you're also going into this summer with $60 million in cap space. And it would be you know pretty difficult to make a change on the fly when you've been preparing for this for months and laying out you know your strategies for the draft free agency so on and so forth and now you're basically here the prep process is already underway with the season ending so i i appreciated his answer honestly i again i don't think rafael is all that different there's absolutely a world where in a year or two we might be having the same conversation about him if things don't break the right way it just so happens that that's the nature of the landscape in the nba and the good news these guys are compensated financially extraordinarily well for that type of instability for that type of unfairness but yeah, he was he was being blunt. You know, it may not be fair to Steven. There's absolutely a world where he's like J.B. Bickerstaff turned out to be a very good coach somewhere else and learns from this and, you know, has a better hand dealt to him. I just think in, in this case, no, it wasn't fair, but it's not fair to Rafael. It's not fair to anybody. That, that's just the nature 
of the landscape when there's only 30 jobs and you're, you know, it's not like situations turn over when a team is in great shape. For the most part, the jobs that open up, especially for first-time coaches, first-time GMs, there's situations like the Rockets where, you know, the previous regime is leaving because they see the writing on the wall as far as what's going to be coming. So, again, especially if you're a first-timer, yeah, you're not going to walk into a perfect situation. It's going to be difficult and probably wasn't fair to Steven. Again, it's not entirely fair to Rafael and, you know, we'll see if, if we're having the same conversation a year or two from now about him. Coming up, we're going to get into why certain questions weren't asked during the press conference. What were some of the questions that we maybe missed out on that we should have hit? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Look, Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is the coolest mobile game that I've laid my hands on in a long time. I've always thought that I would be a great NBA GM, right? Managing a franchise. And it turns out it's not actually as easy as I thought it would be. If you've had the same thought, if you fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, go download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through and leading your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. You'll deal with challenging personalities like players and coaches. You'll handle hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players and making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of multiple seasons. Look, we made a league for all the locked on hosts. We've been talking a lot of trash. We've been having so much fun with it. There have been multiple titles, won, championships. It's been a total blast. You've got to check it out. I know you're going to enjoy it. Locked on Rockets listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the QR code or look it up on the app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate basketball GM, start your dynasty today. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. And and we're going to get in here in a second because I know some Rockets fans are maybe a little disappointed, you know, just the the lack of journalistic integrity here in the Houston media landscape (laughs) scene, whatever. Um, But a couple we did get a couple gems out of this uh Rafael Stone press conference. I have almost a full page of Rafael Stone sound bites now on the board. I know you tagged me on Twitter oh, because yeah. you specifically wanted this one added. A couple of the people are just out of their mind. <laughs> so got that one. And there's another line about uh he wanted to fight somebody. We're oh, willing to fight I, somebody. I need that I need to add that one. I went and got yeah. I, I did grab a couple though. I went with Yeah, no. <laughs> Because that was just so perfect, like situationally, just like, oh man, Jabari pulls up for three in transition and just bricks it. Yeah, no. Like, (laughs) this one, that one is going to be almost as universal as the EG Oh My. I can can almost guarantee it. I'm going to have to move that further up the soundboard to like the the go to page. We've also got, uh, we've also got this one. I would consider trading anything, try and trade stuff for better stuff. (laughs) <laughs> like it's, <laughs> these are this is I this was honestly like a gold mine. Like I've been waiting for these moments to have some like nice like quotes to throw on the soundboard from like Silas and well yeah. obviously not not Silas anymore, but from Stone yeah. specifically, and I hadn't had much to work with. Um and then I also got this one too, which is great. It is very painful for all of us going through this process. <laughs> like <it's laughs> just, these are some really great quotes yeah. that are absolutely going to live uh, for a long time on the soundboard. But 
Okay, now that I, we, you know, just completely derailed at the top of segment two here. Uh, one of the questions that I think a lot of Rockets fans were disappointed that didn't get asked was the report from The Athletic concerning the front office, uh, you know, interference, constraints, mandates, uh, whatever you want to call it regarding Stone and, and you know, how he kind of navigated his role uh, in conjunction with Steven Silas over these last three years. And that was actually, I opened, so I took the very first question in the presser. Yep. I mean, you were there, you saw, they were like, who wants to go first? And I said, all right, me. Like, we all kind of, it's funny because we always usually like glance over at Jonathan and we wait for him to like take the lead and then, yeah. He was kind of indifferent about it. So I took the first question because yeah, I, I wanted. I, I was proud of you, man. I, I thought oh. for sure Jonathan was going to take it. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to get, I wanted the first question because I wanted to be able to get in a second question later on. And then I was unable to because the little microphone setup that they do where they're passing out the mics, I couldn't, I couldn't make eye contact with either of the two microphone holders because I was in the front row and I knew that Lashard was recording video behind me. So I was like, trying not to right. like lean my head this way or that right. way to be to rude. Block his shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's unfortunate because the second question that I had was going to be about the front office interference. I wanted it on record to understand, to, to have stone yeah. on record addressing it. And it is kind of unfortunate that we didn't get, you know, get his answer at least publicly. Yeah. And honestly, I think your rationale is very similar to mine. I'll be blunt. If I had an extended interview with Rafael stone, 100% I would ask that question. However, it would not be the first one I ask, or I shouldn't, let me revise that. It would not be the only question I ask because my journalistic instinct is that it's not going to get a particularly deep response. Ideally, it would be asked. But in this case, the reporting that came out in The Athletic talks about it being an issue basically from two years ago. And there's a very easy path for Rafael to potentially respond and say, look, this is the only reporting I've seen on it. It's, you know, and perhaps some of it's, I guess, a misunderstanding. You could make the case that maybe, you know, he thinks he's making suggestions and Stephen thinks that he's being told to do things. And perhaps that's where both of them being first timers in the lead role, GM and head coach, you know, maybe that lends itself to a bit more uh, uncertainty with, both sides not really understanding the boundaries. But I just think that especially with the way it was reported, there's a very easy way for him to sort of, I don't want to say duck the question. Just, but just kind of brush it off, right? Like yeah, not duck to, it. To basically but... get like a 20 to 30 second response of, yeah, I think that's in the story. I can't really speak to that. But but they say it happened two years ago. It hasn't happened since. And just you know, acting like there's nothing there. And in a setting where with the microphone being passed around and there being so many people there, because of course there's going to be a ton of media interest on the day that the head coach is let go. I want more bang for my buck with the question that I asked. So I piggybacked off the very first question that you had at the top regarding playing style, because I thought there was something that basically dovetailed with that. Me asking, are you dictating the playing style to the coaches in this process? Or are you listening to the coaches when they come to you and say, this is how I think you should probably play with your current roster or whoever you're trying to get in the draft and free agency and so on and so forth. And basically you being flexible to what they think is correct. And he talks about the importance of alignment, not just top to bottom, but bottom to top as well. 
And in my opinion, that was much more likely. And in, I did like the answer I got from him on that. Quite frankly, I thought he, you know, I looked at it, it was like basically two and a half minutes and he gave some quality insight on what that balance is like, because of course, you know, it's not like you're going to have no opinions. You do want alignment. You, you want the front office and ownership to be bought in on what the coach is trying to do, but it's, you know, it's a thin line to walk. There's a balancing act with it. And so long story short, if I'm only going to get to ask one question and that was pretty much the case for all of us, except for, I think Jonathan, because come on, everybody knows that Jonathan is, <laughs> you know, he's like the godfather. He's a legend. You know, he's going to get two or three questions, but everybody else is pretty much going to get one. That's just the, the way it works. I mean, maybe a couple of people get two if you, you know, make eye contact at the perfect moment. But, you know, my question was near the end simply because everybody had their hand raised. It was pretty tough. I also had a difficult time because I was in the middle. So it, it's sort of tough. When you're in the middle, I don't want to block, you know, Ken Davis was shooting behind me. Also don't want to like raise my hand and, you know, it's not like I can just Please grab call straight. on me. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. When you're in the middle, like in some ways, and you were too, like some ways it's easier if you're on the side. But the bottom line is, look, if you're only going to get one question, you want your question to be something that's going to get a, a deep, nuanced, thorough answer. And there was high probability, in my opinion, that... The Rafael question, as far as interference of practices, would to an extent get brushed off. And I, I agree that it needs to be asked. But if you're only getting one question, I would not put it as the only question. And for both of us, that's the reality. We both got one question. And so you have to make the most of it. I would ask it if, you know, if, if I had a one-on-one -on -one with Rafael, if I got to talk to him, you know, for five, ten minutes and ask a number of questions. But it's just... To me, when you're only asking one question, you have to balance not just what do fans want or need to know. You have to balance that with what's actually going to get the most overall knowledge conveyed. And I think we both sort of came to the same conclusion on that, which is that, you know, at least in terms of the very first question, there's more juice that you can squeeze out of other subjects more revealing stuff that he's going to be more willing to open up about yeah no absolutely and i think it's it's funny this we you know we're doing this kind of the the a bit of a peek behind the curtain i guess for for you know fans listening to this you know be, being in that room right being there and and, and covering a team and, and being there every day most of the games whatever like all that it's such a i don't want to say it no, it is kind of, it's an intimate experience, right? You're there, you're sharing yep. the frustration of the coaches, the players, and it is a very interesting dynamic because to then walk out of there and come home and, and do this job and, and be on the microphone and, and share my critiques, my opinions, whatever, and then have to sit back down and be, you know, direct face-to-face -face with the players or coaches that I'm heavily criticizing or, again, like, it was a really weird experience for me, like, earlier this season to when I was, like, when I had basically got reached my end point with, Steven mm -hmm. Silas and I was like no it's it's time for the Rockets to move on and then to sit in those rooms and then still be asking him questions and and you know understanding that he probably has people in his circle his family or friends or whatever sending him you know hey this this guy's saying you should be fired like what do you think and so it's a very weird dynamic when you consider all of that and to your point about like the first question dynamic as well mm -hmm. you know like back when I asked Steven about like the Shingun minutes thing. I, I also don't let, I personally don't like to lead with like necessarily like, the hardest hitting, like, you know, whatever type question, because it's almost like a way of like, you want to, I don't say butter somebody up for the like 
a harder question, but it's just a lot more difficult if you're coming right out of the gate with like a, hey, like this question is could be really bad for yeah. you if you don't answer it the, properly. Like you don't want to look like you're trying to gotcha yeah. somebody, right? Yes. And the other point that I think is noteworthy is that this is a subject in particular, the, I suppose, practice intervention angle. You can ask this when the new coach is hired. You can ask at media day when they're talking about how they're going to do things in training camp. It's a question you can come back to in the future. So that's a that's a key component as well. The questions that we asked were much more timely because we're talking about the mindset that they're going to have when they go into this coaching search literally starting this week. Yeah. Jonathan Fagan reported that literally by the end of this week, they're expecting to talk to Ime Udoka, Frank Vogel, and uh, Kenny Adkinson, I believe, as part of an eight- or nine-man list. You have to weigh timeliness as well. And in our case, we ask questions that are very pertinent to right now. In terms of the Raphael Stone intervention angle, that's something that while noteworthy, I do think at some point he needs to go on the record about that. There's going to be other opportunities. We can talk about it when they hire a new coach. Raphael will be a part of that. We can pick it up at the draft, at Summer League, at Media Day. There's other opportunities because the bottom line is whether we ask it now, a month from now, two months from now, it's all the same thing. Is this going to happen next season? What's the environment going to be like at training camp, in the preseason, at practices during the year, and so on and so forth? You can come back to that question later. And so in a very limited sample, that's another thing to weigh. It's not just about you know, asking every question that fans want to know. It's also what makes the most sense to ask right now in this setting when I'm only getting one or two questions. And part of the thought process is also, hey, is this something that I can potentially come back to later when perhaps there's a bit longer of a leash, more of an opportunity when there's not like 30 people in that little room. And that's the subject that you know, I don't think it's going to be forgotten. It's something that we can revisit the next time we talk to Rafael a few weeks down the road. Absolutely. Coming up, though, what are some of the intangibles that the next head coach of the Houston Rockets needs to be able to succeed in this role? What are some of the things that Steven Silas maybe had as far as shortcomings that, you know, you would hope to not be the case with the next candidate? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. What bets are you going to check out over at FanDuel? Maybe it's Alex Bregman and the next home run that he's going to hit. Maybe it's Framber Valdez and the next set of strikeouts that he's trying to pitch. Or you could build an SGP with your favorite matchup of the day. It's all available over at FanDuel. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official sports partner of Major League Baseball. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, Ben, we know that the Rockets are going to start their their coaching search with the the three names you mentioned a moment ago there, Ime Odoka, Kenny Atkinson, and uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on the Frank Vogel? Frank Vogel, there we go. Uh, thank you for rescuing me on that because that would have been super embarrassing to start the segment with a brain fart. Uh, so when we look at 
these potential candidates. And again, the list is going to be much longer than just those three names. Again, the Rockets have kind right. of a short list of about eight or nine different candidates that they're going to be reaching out to. But even Rafael Stone said that they're they're going to conduct a, a pretty extensive search, right? They might even extend that list beyond just their top eight or nine guys. They might reach out and you know, reach out to some people that don't have previous head coaching experience and, you know, test the waters on some of the assistant coaches around the league, just because you don't know what's out there until you actually sit down and have the interview. And maybe they're completely blown away by a different candidate, but what are some of the intangibles that you're hoping to see out of the next coach brought into this role that maybe Silas, you know, I I feel it feels harsh to say failed to deliver upon, Mm -hmm. but just, you know, some of the intangibles that you think will help the next person in this role. Yeah, and I think the intangibles, when we talk about that, it's not just the coach in isolation. It's the entire mix with the coach and the players, the coach in the front office, the coach and ownership. It's all the alignment. That's the word that Rafael Stone used in the press conference on Monday that you need for this to succeed at a super high level. And so that's one reason why I'm particularly intrigued by Nick Nurse out of Toronto because he does have that past experience with the Rockets. He's worked with Rafael. He's worked with Eli. There is some comfort there in which they sort of know going into the process, here's what the other guy is about. And so I think they're much more likely to be in sync and maybe not have those bumps in the road early in the process like what came out in the athletic article about Rafael and Steven early on in Steven's three-year tenure in Houston. And so that's something that intrigues me about Nurse. Now, I know you can point to some stories this year about, you know, the mix in Toronto not being great in terms of, you know, are the players checked out a little bit? Perhaps, but honestly, the shelf life for NBA coaches is so short that I'm not going to worry about what happens after, you know, a 10-year run for Nurse in Toronto and five as the head coach. That's a really long time. To compare it to recent Rockets hires, look, Steven Silas lasted three years. Mike D'Antoni, who was extremely successful, lasted only four. That's pretty standard around the league. There's a high turnover rate in these positions. So what's also But it's also funny drawing the parallel of, you know, there are Rockets fans who are upset that, you know, oh, well, Steven should have gotten another chance. He should. And and Mm -hmm. the Rockets have moved on from Steven. And one of the one of the phrases that Rafael used was, you know, his you know, needed a different voice in the locker room, right? That's the exact same situation that's happening in Toronto right now is they, they, the reason they're contemplating moving on from Nick Nurse and why there's so much buzz is they feel like they need a new voice in the locker room that Nick Nurse maybe has just run his course. It doesn't actually mean that Nick Nurse is a bad coach, just like it doesn't mean that Steven Silas is inherently a bad coach. They just need a different environment. Correct. And when I think about D'Antoni, I think we probably both agree that's the most successful modern coaching hire in the history of the Rockets. I'm not counting Rudy because, unfortunately, Rudy's 30 years ago when he was hired in 1993. And, God, that makes me feel old. Yeah, it's tough because 1993 feels like it was, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago. And we look and it's like 30. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's nuts. So in the modern history, let's go this century, I think Mike D'Antoni was the most successful hire. And yet, at the time... Twitter, the blogs, Clutch fans, they did not like it at all. It was perceived in 2016 that the Rockets needed someone, a Jeff Van Gundy type, that was going to bring defense and accountability and structure coming off that 41 and 41 year where things just went off the rails and everybody wanted an old school disciplinarian type. And so going into the process, everybody had an idea of this is what they need. And instead, at the time, they sort of doubled down on a strength with James Harden and offense, and it was widely panned at the time, and it turned out to be absolutely brilliant. And so I think that's important to remember because 
a lot of people, I'm seeing it already, are looking and saying, well, I think we need so-and-so when it comes to X's and O's for this particular roster and to maximize this group. Well, first off, I mean, this group is going to change. There's going to be trades, some free agency signings. You don't know exactly what the roster is going to look like next year, two years from now, three years from now, and so on and so forth. But I also think that some of it comes down to factors beyond simply X's and O's and that at the end of the day, what you want more than anything is to get the best out of your current players, put them in the best, not just physical, but mental state to succeed as well. And with Dan Tony, what's interesting, the biggest reason he succeeded, in my opinion, was not any particular X's and O's strategy. It was the way he empowered his players. We heard so many guys in the Dan Tony years talk about the freedom that he gave them on the court. And I think that was a uniquely perfect marriage with James Harden, who Say what you will about him. I think most people will agree. James Harden is probably the most creative superstar of this generation in terms of the way he pushed the boundaries of the NBA game. And so pairing him with a guy that gave him so much freedom and license to do, to push the boundaries even more, to experiment and see what made the most sense for him and the team, that fit ended up being absolutely beautiful. And you would not necessarily have had that anywhere near the forefront of the list in 2016. That's just sort of how it turned out. And even from like a D'Antoni X's and O's standpoint, you know, people forget, even though he's offense first, in 2016, people defined Mike D'Antoni ball by the seven seconds or less Suns with Steve Nash and Marnie Stoudemire playing with pace. That was not what the 2018 Rockets played like. The 2018 Rockets made things a slog. They were very isolation heavy. Of course, James Harden and Chris Paul, that played to their strengths. But also they knew that if they played with pace, basically made the game beautiful, they weren't going to be able to beat the Warriors, who were their biggest competition, because the Warriors just had way too much depth in terms of shooting and playmaking. They needed to make the game ugly. So D'Antoni was adaptable. He made, you know, he went more isolation heavy, not just because it was to the, I guess, the skills of his star players, but also because it made the game a bit slower, a bit choppier. They brought in P.J. Tucker and D'Antoni hired Jeff Bezdelic to run his defense. That's another part of these hires. Who is each candidate going to bring in as their defensive coordinator? And basically, how do they fill out their staff, so to speak? Uh, I shouldn't say who they bring in as defensive coordinator. That just happened to be uh, because uh, Mike so Associate coach, right? Like the, the – yeah. or lead assistant, Yeah, like how they right? fill out their staff. And with yeah. D'Antoni, yeah, the question was on defense. So he brought in a defensive coordinator. Who knows? Maybe the Rockets hire a defensive coach this time and they need an offensive coordinator. Exactly. The, so the speak, Even that won't technically be the title. Yeah. It, it can go either way. But like how you fill out the staff, that's another thing. And so, you know, they brought in Vestelic. They brought in P.J. Tucker. They – formulated this death lineup where they could just sort of switch everything with Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker as a slightly undersized but very versatile front court. Luke Bamute factored that in as well. And, of course, the idea was to reduce the ball movement that the Warriors had and to you know make it more of like an isolation game with Kevin Durant taking some contested 18- to 20-footers. Just, again, make the game ugly because that was the best way to beat what, in my opinion, is still the most talented team in NBA history. And Honestly, I mean, they had him on the ropes. I mean, whether you want to blame Chris Paul's hamstring, the historic outlier of a shooting stretch, Scott Foster. I mean, the Rockets were right there. 65 wins. That was a championship-level team, even though they didn't get the trophy, didn't get the rings. And Mike D'Antoni built it. And he built it in a very different way than you would have thought if, if you were in 2016 and evaluating this search just based on, hey, what is his history of X's and O's? The reality of this, Jackson, the NBA has been around for over 75 years. There's only so many different ways you can rearrange the chessboard in terms of five players on offense and five players on defense. For the most part, coaches these days are smart enough to at least 
if not fully change their system to maximize the personnel, at least adapt it to where it incorporates, you know, it's tweaked to fit with what a given roster looks like and what makes sense to maximize talent. So uh, my general advice going into this is don't get bogged down too much on what exactly is this coach's history in terms of style, X's and O's, and how does that fit with the current roster? Because most of these guys are smart enough. They know how to tweak their system a little bit if that's what makes the most sense to maximize the roster talent that Rafael Stone has put together. That is something that can be changed. What can't be changed in many cases is the personal side, the intangibles, how they click with not just the locker room, but the GM, the ownership. Are they in alignment? And some of these questions we're honestly not going to know because some of it's going to come down to how they interview. I guess my more than anything would just say keep an open mind. That would be my approach going into this process because some of the resolution when it comes to who makes the most sense to sort of fill these to check these boxes, if you will, it's going to depend on answers that, you know, happen behind closed doors. And hopefully Rafael Stone keeps an open mind as well. Again, Nick Nurse is someone that going into the process, I suspect will probably do well on this test, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe somebody else steps up more. But that type of synergy is just so important. I think that's what D'Antoni had with Steven Silas. I think some of it, you know, it's not all his fault, but I think a lot of the problems were simply a first-time GM, a first-time head coach, and an extraordinarily young roster it was just to to that point it, it because of what of what you said a moment ago right is you know a coach would I most coaches would ideally right be able to tailor and, and adapt a little bit to whatever yeah. situation i think that was ultimately one of the shortcomings for steven is i don't think i i think he was very set in in a philosophy and an approach to the game that he wanted right his yeah, vision the, for the read and react the free flowing offense and the luka heliocentric it, exactly and that this rockets roster was just not equipped both because of age talent whatever you want to point to to be able to accomplish that system and this this roster yeah. i think does need a bit more structure right and i know it's funny because you're, you're drawing so we, there were so many parallels to be drawn between the rockets team from 2015-16 and you know the whole oh they need a defensive guy they need more accountability they need this that right, and the right, other right. thing right and clearly it worked out really really well with mike d'antoni and and that is basically the polar opposite of what everybody thought that that team needed but this time around with the age of this roster with the the problems that we've seen these last couple of years i do really firmly believe that that is the direction that I think ultimately they're going to go. And the one, the very key distinction is when you have that transcendent type player at the core of what you're doing, which sure. at, at back then they had James Harden, they don't have that yet on this yes, team, right? Yeah, like, so you had more flexibility in 2016 because you had James Harden. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair and, and way he to was also it. he was also kind of like the first pillar or or just the the start of where you wanted the alignment to be right like you had at that point when you have a transcendent player like that it's kind of okay to try and find a coach who's going to match and and mesh and work well in alignment with that star player you don't want to hire a coach who's going to be butting heads with your star player that's not going to work out yeah. for anybody and so the this rocket team does that right now they don't and so the important thing now is to just find the best coach available who can then yeah. help mold these young guys into what is going to hopefully be be a contender further down the line yeah and i also think that it ties in very well with some of the things we were talking about earlier with rafael and steven with the difficulties of having a first-time gm and a first-time head coach at the same time because honestly once that roster went young it made it very difficult for that mix to work i think you could have 
perhaps survive some of those initial, I guess, boundary pushing moments that we talked about earlier, you know, both Steven and Rafael sort of feeling their way out in the lead role for the first time when you had a veteran roster, which, you know, in fairness to the Rockets, they did have a very veteran roster when they hired Steven Silas in October 2020. You had James Harden and Russell Westbrook, two former MVPs that were in their 30s. You had role players like P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington. You might could learn on the fly in terms of those little things if you have a veteran roster that you can just sort of trust to take the keys. And even if, you know, the coach is still feeling his way out a little bit in the lead job, then that buys you time. That gives you a buffer. As opposed to when the roster is insanely young and like half of them are too young to even, you know, legally go out and get a drink, then that makes it very difficult and it makes it much more likely for even just little things in terms of, you know, not quite knowing the boundaries to become bigger things because there's just not that voice, that instant credibility that can just sort of ease the tensions and say, hey, I've got this. I've been there, done that. I know that this is going to be okay because, you know, we've come out on the other side before. These guys haven't. And so that's what made it a difficult mix last time. And so that's something that, again, like, not going to say the Rocks necessarily made a mistake because, again, when they were going through the process, they had a very different roster. But I do think there's a lesson to be taken from that in that, you know, maybe it makes sense with Rafael still being a relatively new GM to maybe err a bit more on the side of experience. And especially with, you know, some of this stuff, I'm sure if Rafael were on this podcast right now and this was, you know, a three-way discussion, I'm sure he would push back and say, some of these, you know, whispers that are out there about, you know, practice intervention and all these little conflicts, they're blown way out of proportion. Yeah, no. <laughs> I knew it was going to come in yeah. handy. Yeah, beautiful. You know, I'm sure he would say that, you know, we're making a mountain out of a molehill in some of these cases. And that a lot of it's just perceptions that are misguided, as he pointed out. And it's a fair point. A, like a of lot the of people are just out of their mind. <laughs> they're so, they're uh, so know, good. A lot of the. A lot of the people that have, you know, said some of the more harsh critiques have not been on the ground in Houston. And so they're going based on sort of a game of telephone. I, I think that's a fair point that that he raised that, you know, when people talk about the culture, you know, you have to keep in mind, are these guys actually here? Or are they, you know, perhaps relying on things they've heard that may not be entirely accurate or maybe they're from previous seasons or different players, a different mix? That's absolutely a fair point. But here's the thing. In the NBA, perception matters, even if it's not really what's going on on the court on a given day, if the Rockets are perceived this way, then that does have an impact in terms of how desirable your franchise is to free agents, to trade targets, to guys in the draft pool, and so on and so forth. It's especially big this summer because of the $60 million in cap space. Again, I've said in, in the past, I think Steven might have had his option picked up. You could have made an argument to punt back this decision a year because honestly, Stephen was not given a fair shake. And there is a world in which he becomes, you know, the next J.B. Bickerstaff, that he's a good coach somewhere else when the situation, the mix is a lot better. In a normal situation, you might could actually make the case that, hey, you know, let's just let him play out the final year of his contract. And if it doesn't work out, go into the market in 2024 when, you know, 2023, the Rockets are desirable as a destination because, you know, the cap room, the coach can sort of reshape the roster as he sees fit, whereas they couldn't a year ago. But again, you could make the same argument in 2024. Like the prospect's going to be a year older. You're going to have all these young guys. You could theoretically still have some salary cap flexibility. You could have done that, except for the fact that, again, in 2023, because you want to have maximum options this summer, 
then the perception that someone is in control is really important. And so I think that's why you're going to see the Rockets look at names like Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel and Ime Udoka, guys that have been there, done that in the last four years with either winning a title or getting to the NBA Finals. That's the type of thing that is important. And even if, in terms of the day-to-day, some of these culture elements are overblown, at the same time, to maximize the opportunities that are out there this summer, having someone with the credibility to basically show the marketplace that there's you know, an adult in the room that knows how to drive the car, even when things get really sticky, that can mean a lot to you know, just how this franchise is perceived and its overall health. And, you know, to Rafael's point, uh, you know, I think there may be some validity that some of these things are blown out of proportion. And, you know, from what I've seen on the ground, I I do think they had a pretty good mix this year. I do agree that they worked very hard. But at the same time, look, if the perception's out there, then that's just one of those little things as well, that even if it's not entirely fair, again, none of this is fair. That goes back to what we said leading off the top. I think getting into... Beyond the X's and O's, these little intangibles in terms of the alignment internally, the leadership style, and also what it says about the Rockets to the outside market, those are things that matter as well. It's not just as simple as, here's the current roster, let's look at the historical systems, the coaches in question, who's going to maximize them. No, there's a lot of other things that go into it as well, and ultimately, I think it's the latter that may have the biggest impact ultimately when it comes to the success of the hire. Because again, you can you can tweak the systems. These guys, you know, they're not dumb. There's only so many ways you can play and rearrange the chessboard with five players in the court at a given time trying to outscore your opponent. At some point, you know, basketball's been played in the NBA for over 75 years. There's only so many ways you can do it. That part, in my opinion, while not easy, you can fix it. You can resolve it. It's the other part in terms of the alignment and what message you send to the league in this very important summer. That is where some candidates may stand out relative to others. And so I would just encourage people to keep an open mind. Uh, Think big picture, not just X's and O's. And also, uh, again, trust the Rockets. You know, you you go into this process. Some of this, we're not going to ourselves know the answer. Some of it's going to come down to how these guys answer questions behind closed doors. And so that's where you just got to trust Raphael Stone, trust Tillman Fertitta, trust Patrick Fertitta, that they know what they're doing, that they learn from some of the, you know, mistakes that they've made in the past. Hey, calling Steven Silas a mistake because so much of this is out of their control, but just saying yeah. mistake from the standpoint of, you know, it didn't it, it, work it, it out. It didn't work out. Yeah. It, it yeah. is, it is, so, a, it is technically yeah. a mistake. It feels like it carries more right. negative connotation than it should. Sure. But. but yeah, so just learn from that experience and trust them to, to do the right things. Uh, that is sort of my advice going into this search keep an open mind and don't, you know, try and pigeonhole yourself too early. The only other thing that I would add to what you said, because I, I think I, I fully agree with everything you pointed out is just the other element, right? As far as just an intangible is just being a motivator, right? Like there's, sure. you know, so, so much of, I think like the coaches who are maybe labeled like defensive coaches or whatever, it's not because they're doing anything that is just mind bogglingly unique on defense. It's more just, they get their guys to buy into whatever they're doing, right? Playing so hard. much about defense is just effort. And if you can't get your team to buy into a vision or an approach or a scheme or whatever, then you're going to look bad regardless regardless of what you're running out. You could be running the most effective scheme in NBA history, but if guys aren't bought in and playing hard and motivated for you as the coach, then it's going to look bad. So 
That's the yeah. only other note and that, some of that, that I yeah. would add. And some of that also goes into the staff that each coach hires in. Rafael yeah. made it clear at the press conference that unlike the Gerald Warriors, he's going to give the coach the autonomy to fill out his staff. I do think that there are indications that Tillman Fertitta is willing to spend at a high level on this hire because the names that have been linked to the Rockets are not guys that would come cheaply. So, you know, we talked a lot in the past. There's no salary cap on coaching hires. And many times, you know, the assistant pool is just as relevant as the head coach. We know that's what derailed Kenny Atkinson and the Hornets a year ago when he was going to take that job. But reports came out later that he was not satisfied with the pool of money for his assistants and what he could potentially do with that to fill out his staff. And so, you know, depending on who you hire, it may be a situation like when you hire Mike Antoni, who's an offensive bureau, then you hire Jeff Bestelic to come in and basically run your defense in that analogy. So, you know, that's going to come with the territory as well. And Rafael Stone is giving that coach full autonomy. So can that coach have the self-awareness to say, hey, you know, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And in some of the areas where I'm not as strong, you know, who do you want to hire? How are you going to address that? That's a big part of it as well. And so, you know, again, it, the whole thing is that it's a lot deeper than just identifying which of these eight or nine names fits the best with the current roster and just looking at it strictly through X's and O's. It's it's about the overall mix, and there's a lot of things that go into that, both in terms of you know the front office, the players, the motivation, as you said, how they connect, and then also what their vision is for the rest of the staff. It's pretty clear that Rafael Stone is giving them a blank canvas. He mentioned yesterday that, you know, he does like the assistance. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if guys like John Lucas are brought back and Lucas in particular, I hope he is because he's a joy to chat with. And um, I do think he's a guy who really helps in terms of motivation. He's someone that clearly connects with this young group the last couple of years. So I would love to see him in particular get a look. But Rafael made it clear that while, you know, he might sort of nudge them and say, you know, you maybe should consider this guy. He's going to give them free reign. And so how they address that in the interview process and what their plan is to fill out the the first and second row of the bench aside them and right behind them, that's a big part of it as well. Again, it's it's an overall broad picture. It's not just one very specific set of criteria. It's about the overall mix. And I think and hope that's the way the Rockets are looking at this. On that note, Ben, you know the drill. Let everyone know where they can track you down at. Yep, Ben Dubose on Twitter, the RocketsWire on Twitter, the Logger Line on Twitter, and RocketsWire.usatoday.com for all of your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app. Free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.